Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. I'm going to ask you to turn to Revelation chapter 1 this morning. It's been a couple of weeks since we began our study together in the book of Revelation. We went over the first eight verses, I think it was two weeks ago. And in those eight verses, we learned what this book is all about, what it's really all about. Uh, Yeah, it's definitely about what's ahead. Um, But the main theme of the book of Revelation is not Armageddon. Uh, It's not the Antichrist. The main theme is Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. It's Jesus Christ. And uh, it's all about his return for us and his reign here for eternity over us. And the second half of this chapter here continues to stress that reality for us. The Apostle John, he's the human author that God inspired to write these words to us. He's reunited here in this God-given glorious vision with the Lord Jesus. And we get a glimpse here this morning of what Jesus Christ is like right now. The Lord also provides us in this section of Scripture uh, an entire outline for the book of Revelation. It will help anybody who understands it or who studies it properly to understand everything that God is going to communicate to us as we begin our journey here in these 22 chapters in the Sundays ahead. Let's read verses 9 through 20, Revelation chapter 1. says, I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, I was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. And I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And I heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. What thou seest, write in a book and send it unto the seven churches, which are in Asia, unto Ephesus and unto Smyrna, unto Pergamos and unto Thyatira, unto Sardis and unto Philadelphia and unto Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paths with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were as a flame of fire. And his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace. And his voice as a sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars. And out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of hell and of death. Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are and the things which shall be hereafter. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. So God completes this opening chapter of Revelation 
by first telling us about John's situation. A few weeks ago, in the first eight verses, we were introduced to the Apostle John. We know who he is, one of the original 12 disciples. More than that, he was one of the inner three that was closest to Jesus, along with his brother James and, and with Peter. And God inspired John to write this final book of the Bible, along with the Gospel of John and the three letters to the churches, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Uh, the book of Revelation, the last message that God inspired him to write. Uh, to us as his fellow Christians. And that's exactly how John identifies himself. In verse 9, he says, I, John, who also am your brother and your companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and the patience of Jesus Christ. So John does not identify himself to us here as an apostle or as the well-known, well-loved former pastor of the church of Ephesus. He was that, Ephesus being one of the largest, most prominent churches in the world at that time. No, in Christ-like humility, John here identifies himself as, I'm your brother. I'm your companion in tribulation in Christ's kingdom and the patience of Jesus Christ. So John emphasizes here that, that just like all followers of Jesus, he's a partner in the difficult circumstances that are just a part of following Jesus as we await Christ's return for us and his reign here on earth. John emphasizes here that he's our partner in the perseverant faith. That's a requirement of every single person who's trusted Jesus as Savior, as we do what God has commanded us to do, as we live for him, as we fulfill the great commission until our Lord returns. And then at the end of verse 9 here, John tells us a little more about a situation. He says, I was on the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. So it's probable that John was sent to this island as punishment for doing what Jesus told him to do, for sharing the gospel. Uh, John was the pastor of the church at Ephesus for a time, along with other disciples or apostles. John was faithful and going here, there, and everywhere, as we like to say here, um, telling everyone that salvation uh, can be had by faith in Jesus Christ alone. According to early Christian history, the Roman emperor Domitian, he sent John here to the Isle of Patmos as punishment, possibly after an attempt on his life. At one point, they tried to kill John by boiling him alive in oil. He survived. And uh, by the time that God had John pen these words to us, it's likely that the other disciples had already been martyred for their faith, John being the, the last one. And advanced in age with a body that had suffered decades of persecution for Jesus already, he's sent to the Isle of Patmos, it says here, for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, Patmos is just off the coast of Turkey. Uh, you could visit it even today if I don't think you'd want to. And it's a barren, rocky place. There were large marble deposits there. Uh, and the Roman government would force prisoners who were sent there to mine the marble for the empire's use. John tells us in verse 10, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. So here's some more about John's situation. John never stopped worshiping. Uh, he may have been alone. He might have been the only Christian uh, on that island. But we find him here on Sunday, on the Lord's Day. And what's he doing? He's still having church as best he can, even if it's by himself. Knowing John and his testimony, I do wonder if he was the only believer on, on that island. I have no doubt that John shared the gospel with other prisoners there, seeing that situation. Boy, this is not fun. This is pretty difficult. But as a situation that God had sovereignly put him in to do what Jesus had told him to do. Another opportunity to tell others about Christ. But at this specific point, he is alone. 
It's Sunday. It's the Lord's Day, and John describes himself as being in uh, the Spirit. Now, as with any Christian, uh, we know that the Holy Spirit was in John. But in the context of this passage and the entire rest of the book of Revelation, this phrase, in the Spirit, it seems to communicate something more. Something like when you and I can be filled with the Holy Spirit. How does that happen? Well, to begin with, anything else that's taken up space has to go. Amen? You can't be filled with the Spirit if there's other stuff getting in the way there. Christian, you want to know what it's like to be filled with the Spirit? Not, not just to have, um, not just to be sealed for salvation, like the Holy Spirit does for us the moment we're, we're born again. Uh, not, not simply to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit, which is true of every Christian, uh, having His presence in us and with us. But, but do you want to know what it's like to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be in the Spirit on the Lord's Day like John is here? Then you've got to make room for that filling to even be possible in the first place. The Holy Spirit cannot fill when there's other stuff in the way. Seminary professor John Wolvert, he described this in the Spirit phrase this way. And John here is being carried beyond the limitations of his normal senses into a state where God could supernaturally reveal the truth and contents of this book. And that's John's situation here. Listen, it allows him to have one of the most beautiful experiences ever described in God's word. After about 60 years of faithful ministry to the Lord, after about six decades of not seeing Jesus, John gets here a glorified glimpse of his Lord and Savior. Let's look at that description in verses 11 to 18. Uh, this special reunion it began at the end of verse 10. John hears a great voice as of a trumpet. Now, if you remember from a few weeks ago, uh, the, we, we learned that the book of Revelation it has many uses of symbolic language as we go through this book. Please pay attention when you come across words like these. Um, like, this was like that. Or as, this was as that, or as it were. And we got the first one here at the end of verse 10. There's going to be more in the verses ahead. It says, a great voice as of a trumpet. Did John hear a trumpet? No. He heard a voice that was speaking words. That much is clear in verse 11. But he heard a great voice as a trumpet. What does that mean? Well, what's a trumpet sound like? Because our, our brother David hasn't been feeling well for a while, we, we've missed that trumpet here. But you know what it's like in worship here when that trumpet is going. For those of you who are in the military, um, that trumpet it is a clear uh, sound that you understood. It's time to wake up <laughs> when that trumpet goes. Time to salute the flag at the start of the day. Maybe it's time to just pause in quietness and remember the sacrifice uh, of a fallen brother or sister soldier. Uh, what voice? Whose words did John hear here? Look at verse 11, this great trumpet-like voice said, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. Who is this? Well, we go back to verses 5 through 8, and we know it's the voice of Jesus Christ. That's how Jesus identified himself in verse 8. And I want, I want you to try to put yourself in the place of John here this morning. Empty out things um, that might be preventing the Holy Spirit from revealing God's truth to you here in this passage. Uh, enter into John's experience right now. You have followed, you have spent time uh, with Jesus 24-7 for the three years uh, he, um, you had spent time with him in ministry. Ever since he found you mending your nets on the seashore, he said, come follow me. You spent 24-7 with him. Uh, you saw Jesus crucified. You were at the foot of the cross. He, he told you to take care of his mother, Mary. Uh, you saw Jesus resurrected. <laughs> you were in that room uh, when Jesus showed his, his wounded hands to Thomas. Uh, you, you had placed your faith in, in Jesus Christ for salvation. He has totally changed every aspect of your life. And then he ascended into heaven. You saw him go up with a promise to return. 
And uh, before he left, he gave you a commission. He said, beginning at home, I want you to go into all the world, make disciples, be a witness of me, and how I have changed your life. Tell others about the salvation that they can have by trusting in me as their Savior. This is who you are. <laughs> you're a Christian now. This is what you're to be all about for the rest of your life. And you obey. And it's definitely not easy. You get made fun of. You get harassed and arrested, imprisoned, threatened with death, uh, even an attempt on your life by boiling you in oil, all because, all because you obeyed what Jesus told you to do. I mean, you spend your life on mission for Jesus. You are serving him as a pastor there in Ephesus. You're making disciples. And then you get sent to this horrible uh, Alcatraz-like island to slave away in your elderly years mining marbles. You haven't seen Jesus for 60 years. You haven't even heard his audible voice for decades. But then one Sunday, as you're worshiping, you hear a great voice as a trumpet. It's the most beautiful sound you've heard in years. We just... We didn't pray before. Can we pause to pray here? Lord, Lord, would you do that this morning for us? Um, here at Dublin First Baptist, you're speaking to us in your word. And it's a great voice. Your word is a great voice. It's, it's a clear uh, clarion call, much like a trumpet. If we're in the spirit, if we're listening, help us to listen this morning. Jesus, we long for your voice. And we have your voice here in the living word, the written word of God. And... Uh, Lord, we want to hear from you. We need the comfort your voice brings, your word brings. We so desperately need the strength that your voice provides so that we can be the enduring, persevering followers of Jesus, even in our current time of tribulation, just like John. We ask you to speak to us. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. I am the Alpha and Omega. That's what he said in verse 11. I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. What is Jesus telling John? I'm everything. I'm in control. I'm sufficient, John. And that's the message of Jesus to every one of us here this morning. Uh, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're enduring tribulation. We're not enduring the great tribulation that it speaks of later in this book. Just the difficult times that followers of Jesus have been going through uh, ever since he first came and since we first placed our faith in Christ. And to endure, uh, to persevere uh, on mission for his kingdom, we need to meet Jesus. We need to hear from Jesus. And that's why we meet together for worship. Uh, that's what we endeavor to do here together every time we meet together. We need to see Jesus. We need to hear from Jesus. And Jesus continues his message here in verse 11. Uh, in this great trumpet-like voice, he also tells John, what thou seest right unto uh, right in a book and send it to the seven churches, which are in Asia. And then he lists some Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. And we know John obeyed because we have the rest of this last book of the Bible. Over the next few weeks, we're going to read what Jesus told John to write to these seven churches. Each church, each one got its own uh, specific message. It was also sent to the other uh, six churches along with the rest of the book of Revelation. Each message to a specific church was also a message for the other six and to you and I who are here uh, in our day. We know this because uh, at the end of each message to these churches in chapters 2 and 3, it always ends this way. He who has an ear to hear, uh, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches, uh, plural. And we're one of Christ's churches. So these messages are all for us. Now in verse 12, John turns. <laughs> he turns to see who it was that spoke with this great trumpet-like voice to him. How could he not? I mean, he knew who was speaking. 
He had listened to that voice for three of the most incredible years of his life. He had heard that voice say uh, back in John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Uh, he had last heard that voice 60 years earlier say in Acts 1, 8 that, that he and Christ's other followers, they'd receive power after that the Holy Ghost was come upon them and they'll be witnesses Unto me in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, unto the uttermost parts of the earth. John turns to see this one speaking, but he sees something else first, it tells us. What does verse 12 say that John saw? Seven golden candlesticks. Now, this is not anticlimactic. Uh, God does it this way because, Christian, uh, we need to not just see and hear from Jesus. We need to see where Jesus is right now. What are these seven golden candlesticks? Well, we find that out at the very end of this passage in verse 20. And what does it say there? These seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. So they're the seven churches that Jesus told John to write to. And we've already had a couple of sevens here in chapter 1. We need to address that. We know in God's word that the number seven as a number representing uh, completion, uh, totality, and, and so these seven churches that are here, symbolized by seven candlesticks, they represent the totality of the churches of Jesus Christ. All those who have placed their faith in Jesus as their Savior. All churches of all time. And God tells us here uh, what they symbolize. Don't, don't think prophecy is too difficult to understand. God always tells us everything he wants us to know. Everything he wants us to know. Uh, we just need to keep reading like we do here, and let his word interpret his word. So why is this detail about Christ's location, uh, why is it inserted here? I mean, John was about to see Jesus. Let's get to it. Let's see Jesus, right? Well, where is Jesus? Where is he? Verse 13, in the midst of the seven candlesticks, there's one like unto the Son of Man. And it gives a description of Jesus. Jesus is in the midst of his churches. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? He's here <laughs> right now this morning. I mean, yes, Jesus is always with those who trusted him as Savior 24-7 through his indwelling Holy Spirit. But God's word makes it clear that in a special and a powerful, comforting way, you find Jesus here in the midst of his churches. That's Christ's promise in Matthew 18, 20. Where two or three are gathered in my name, I'll be with them. That was Christ's promise after giving us a great commission of Matthew 28 and 20. As we're going, we're to make disciples. We're to do what we're doing here on this OCC uh, dedication Sunday. And then Jesus promises this, Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So yeah, hearing from Jesus, seeing Jesus, that's wonderful. And we want it. But even more wonderful than, than the revelation of Jesus Christ is, is the location that revelation comes from. Where is he? Is, is he far off? Not according to the Lord in, in Jeremiah 23, 23. God says there, am I God? Am I a God near at hand and not far off? I'm not far off. Can anyone hide themselves in secret places so I shall not see him, says the Lord? No, he's here, church. He's here. He's in the midst of his churches, in the midst of his people. And praise the Lord. Great conviction comes from that reality that Jesus is here with us. Great comfort comes from it. John turns around and he glances up and he sees Jesus in the midst of his church. And then he describes who he saw for us. This is what Jesus looked like when John wrote this book. This is what Jesus looks like right now, even right now. He's clothed. It says he's clothed with a garment down to the foot. So he's wearing a long white robe, just like the Old Testament priests wore. Uh, he's got a golden belt on like they wore. And we know from the book of Hebrews, we studied that about a year ago or so, that Jesus is our better high priest. 
uh, his interceding work for us to God the Father. That's the only way we can be saved. And Jesus is here wearing a robe just like a king would wear. And he's described later in Revelation 19, 16 that way, because he's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. In verse 14, John says that Jesus now has a head of a white hair, like wool as white as snow, and you can't help but think of purity and wisdom. His eyes are as a flame of fire. He has eyes that penetrate just like his word does. In Hebrews 4.12, God says that his word pierces even to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of our hearts. So are Jesus' eyes. Um, he knows where we are. He knows who we are, what we're like, what we're thinking, what we're doing, what we need, what we can be <laughs> when we yield to his transforming work in our lives. In verse 15, John sees Jesus' feet. They're like unto fine brass as if they're burned in a furnace and his voice is the sound of many waters. And so there's some more symbolic descriptions here, as if and as, uh, but, but we need to know this. Whenever you find a, a symbol or metaphor in prophecy, the reality it's meant to portray is even more powerful, more powerful. Words just fail to describe. John's doing the best he can here. And there's no reason not to take this description literally. With Jesus' feet being like burnt bronze. I mean, figuratively, Jesus entered the fires of suffering for us and his death for us on the cross. But back in Daniel chapter 3, um, there was a fourth man walking around in that fiery furnace, wasn't there? They weren't burned. Not Shadrach, Meshach, Meshach and Abednego. It was Jesus. Nebuchadnezzar described him then as like a man, like unto the Son of God. He endured suffering so we don't have to. He's always in the midst of those who are his. Uh, and this isn't the first time Jesus has been described this way. If we went back to the Old Testament, back into Daniel chapter 7, God gives Daniel a, a vision where he sees Jesus in an identical way that John does here in verses 13 to 15. And then John sees something in Jesus' right hand. Verse 16, we got another seven seven stars. And again, it's down in verse 20 that we find out what they symbolize. It says the seven stars are the seven angels of the seven churches. So we got to do some thinking here. It says angels. And so some believe that this indicates that God has an angel, uh, kind of like a guardian angel, uh, assigned to every church. That, that's possible. It is. Uh, but the word angels in the Greek, it's angeloi, and it simply means messengers. That's what it means. Uh, those who convey news, those who communicate a message from God to men. And generally in Scripture, it does usually refer to a supernatural messenger, what you and I think of as, as angels. There's a few places in God's Word. Uh, Luke 9.52 and James 2.25, God uses the same word to describe human beings who communicate God's Word to His people. And so most conservative theologians, most commentators take God to mean here that Jesus is holding human messengers Probably pastors, maybe leaders of the church. He's holding them in his right hand. Uh, pastor John MacArthur notes, Nowhere in the New Testament is it ever taught that angels are involved in the leadership of the church. Uh, angels don't sin. Angels don't have the need to repent, as some of these messengers, along with the churches that they lead, are exhorted to in chapters 2 and, and 3. And I want you to think about this. Another problem with the view that God literally means angels uh, here is that this would be the only place and all of scripture where God conveys a message to an angel through a human being, through John. And God's word, it's always the other way around. So, so in context, it's more in line with God's word to understand uh, the actual literal use of the word, literal meaning angeloi, messengers, that these are maybe pastors, maybe representatives or leaders of the churches that Jesus is going to address here in the first three chapters of Revelation. And when I consider it that way, I'm both convicted and comforted again. 
as a leader of one of Christ's churches. Um, what a comfort to know I'm protected in his hand. What an encouragement to know that I'm wielded by his hand. And it's not just uh, truth for pastors or associate pastors or deacons or any other leader. It, that's true for all. You are in his hand. We already quoted a verse uh, where Jesus promised us that is the case. Verse 16, it closes John's description of his vision this way. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. What's that? Well, it's his word. The same powerful word that back in Genesis 1 spoke all of the universe into existence when all he had to do was say, let there be blank. And it came to be. That's the same word that's going to end all rebellion to him. Later on in Revelation 19, 15, it says, with just a word, just his command, he'll defeat forever those who have rejected Christ as Savior on that coming day. His word, that's his weapon. It's ours too, isn't it? That's what we are told in Ephesians 6, in the armor of God, we take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Verse 16, it ends with his countenance, the appearance of his face. It was as the sun shineth in his strength. It's stunningly glorious. The glory of Christ in this glimpse John gets of his Savior. It's so great, it's hard to even look on him. And John had seen this glory once before in a somewhat similar way. Him and James and Peter were on that mountain when they saw Christ transfigured in Matthew 17 too. It says there, his face shone like the sun. And so maybe um, it's a little unusual for us. We've got a different picture of Jesus here, don't we? Than we might typically think of. We might think of right now a baby uh, in a manger. And, uh, or maybe that brown-haired, bearded Jesus uh, is teaching and healing and calling people to follow him. Maybe we got a picture of Jesus bloodied and bruised on the cross, suffering for our sins. We definitely, uh, as those who are his, we, we try to picture and imagine the, the resurrected Christ. His victory over death ensuring ours. If we trusted him as Savior. This is a different Jesus, though, here. This is the risen, ascended, glorified Christ. This is what Jesus looks like today, Christian. And God tells us in 1 John 3, 2, Beloved, now we are the children of God. It has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Hey, this is Jesus as he is right now. Everything in this vision of John's Savior and his description of it for us, man, this speaks of strength and majesty and authority. Do you realize this is the only specific physical description of Jesus that's found in God's Word? There's, there's some generalities elsewhere, but this is the uh, only one that tells us what Jesus looks like. God wants us to see Jesus as he is. And God said in 1 John 3, 3, that those who do see Jesus as he is, they're going to purify themselves even as he is pure. Now, that's the whole point of prophecy. Uh, that's one of the reasons and results that should happen from studying Revelation. You and I, as followers of Christ, we get a glimpse of Jesus, and then we live in anticipation of his return in holiness and purity, us being ready for his return and reign. What's John's response to this glimpse of the one he loves and serves, the one who loved him and gave his life for him? Verse 17 says, I fell at his feet like I was dead. John's completely overwhelmed. I mean, he, he knew Jesus, not this Jesus. Right, in worshipful humility, he bows flat on his face before the Alpha and Omega, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Look, we'd be wise to do the same. And then John feels this familiar, loving, comforting touch. Jesus reaches down with his right hand and says, fear not. I want you to remember that as we go through the book of Revelation. For the Christian, there's no reason to fear anything we're going to read and study about. He says, fear not. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. 
I'm first and the last. I'm he that lives. I was dead, but I'm alive forevermore. Amen? Amen? That's what God says there. Amen. So be it. Jesus comforts the awestruck and John this way. Look, I've got the keys of hell and death. We sang that earlier this morning and rejoice the Lord as king. He's the one in control of life and death. That's what Jesus told Martha when Lazarus died in John eleven twenty five. 25. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And is there any greater comfort that, than what we're given here in this glimpse of Jesus we have this morning? You don't need to fear when life gets out of control if you know the one in control. You don't need to fear the one who has revealed himself in all of this glory if you trusted him as Savior and you've got the guarantee that you'll be with him in glory one day. Last verse, verse 19. We looked at verse 20 and the explanations of what John saw in verses 12 and 13. But I think verse 19 might be the most important verse in all of chapter 1. Uh, at least if you're going to understand what God communicates to us here in the book of Revelation. John reiterate, or Jesus reiterates his command to John from verse 11. He's the right these things to those seven churches and to us. First of all, the things which you have seen, and then the things which are, and then the things which will be hereafter. Now, I mean, if you don't take notes on anything in this whole time, take notes on this, because God gives us here a three-point outline for the entire book of, of Revelation. If you understand this, you're going to be well on your way to understanding the rest of the book. If you ignore this, you might have a tough time making sense of it all. First of all, the things which you have seen. Well, that's all of this. That's chapter one. The things you have seen. That's the past. And then there's number two, the things which are. Well, that's going to be chapters two and three. God's messages through John to the seven churches and to us here today. We're still in this moment. That's the present. We're in the present. The things which are. And then finally, John is to write to us, number three, the things which shall be hereafter. That's chapters four through 22. That's literally how chapter four starts. This is after these things. After these things I looked. And, and God tells us all the things which shall be hereafter. After the present time we're in right now. Isn't that awesome? Isn't it wonderful that we have a God who, who graciously wants us to know the comfort of what is ahead? Uh, we have a communicating God. He wants us to know his plans for us. God tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5, uh, 2 through 5, uh, talking about that which will be hereafter. God tells us this. The day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Well, then God says, but you, brethren, you're not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. Shouldn't be surprised to you. You're sons of light. You're sons of the day. You're not of the night and in darkness. Christian, you're not in darkness about any of this stuff. At least you shouldn't be because God tells us here in his word. Jesus has communicated to us. He's given us light. He tells us what's ahead. He tells us what that means for how we are to live right now. That's probably the most important part. Not just knowing what's ahead, but what does that mean for how I'm to live today? John began this passage by telling us about his situation. Look, he was in a tough place, literally. He'd been faithful to the Lord. He'd been living for Jesus, and he was suffering because of that. But in that situation, what happened? A beautiful reunion, right? And, and Christian, please realize this. Have hope this morning. Jesus is most intimately known in the midst of suffering and trials, John's given a glimpse here. He most clearly, most gloriously saw Jesus in the context of suffering because of his faithfulness to God's word and testimony for the Lord. That was true of John. This is not the only example. We already talked about those three Hebrews in the fiery furnace. Where did they meet Jesus? Right there. Over and over again in the word of God. That's the hope-giving record. Are you in a tough place this morning? Look for Jesus. He wants to meet you there. 
Ask him to reveal himself to you in a way that you never experienced before. Ask him to fill you with his spirit, just like he did John this morning. Get rid of anything that might be preventing that from happening so you can have the joy and comfort and hope that John have. We, we've met and seen Jesus here in chapter 1 as he is. And listen, I do not know how the collective response of us as his people this morning could be anything different than what John did here. And all of this here is behind me because you and I want people to meet Jesus and trust him as uh, his, our, their Savior, uh, you who know him. This morning I ask you, will you bow before the Alpha and Omega? I mean, awestruck at his glory like John was here. Um, struck at his sovereign power. Will you kneel before the King of kings and Lord of lords? This one who demolishes fear uh, because uh, he is the one who was dead but is alive forevermore. This is the one who holds the keys to death and hell. I want to tell you, there's an expression of faith in our position of worship. I mean, that's true. So whether that's in your heart in a moment here, whether that's in your heart, in your pew, where you are bowed down, or, or whether if you're able, this morning I invite you to come up here by me. You already moved once. It won't be that weird. All right, you already came up here once more, but um, I invite you to join me here. To, for us to do as his people this morning, to do what John did when he saw Jesus as we've seen him this morning, to fall at his feet in a faith that's totally dependent on him, Every one of us together in prayer this morning telling him, Lord, we want to know. We want to know what you're about to tell us here in the book of Revelation in the weeks ahead. You and I asking God this morning to reveal himself so that we can endure faithfully until he returns and reigns. Earlier we came together as people to pray that others would meet Jesus, receive him as Savior. And now we got the opportunity to come together once again. I'll ask Judy if she'll come. She's just going to play a song. We had a different kind of invitation this morning. We're not going to sing together. She's going to play How Great Thou Art. We sang a little portion of it before. And this morning, let's all stand. I invite you to join me if you're able or if you're there in your seat. Wherever you are, come. I'll pray in just a moment. And I'm going to ask God, reveal yourself in this book of Revelation that we're going to study together. Help us to know Jesus. Help us to see Jesus. Judy, go ahead and start playing. And uh, take some time.